0: How did we miss Apple? I think everyone missed Apple. Who thought Apple was going to go up 100% in 2019? Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of The Capitalist Investor. I'm Mark Tepper. I've got Derek Gabrielson with me as well. Hey,
1: Mark. How are you doing today? I'm
0: good. So today, D, I'd like to talk about behavioral finance. One of my favorite topics. (laughs) Because it's important. Because, you know, retail investors tend to misbehave when it comes to managing their investment portfolio and misbehavior costs you a lot of money. A lot of money. (laughs) I've got something in front of me that shows that 20-year annualized returns from 1999 through 2018 – a 60-40 portfolio did 5.2% annualized. It's not great, but it's not as bad as the average investor. <laughs> no. Average investor over that same time frame did 1.9% per year.
1: Why do you think that is? Literally, they created a whole subject to talk about that. It's called <laughs> behavioral finance. They misbehaved, right? <laughs> yep. You know, when, when there was a lot of
0: fear, they sold. Uh, when there was a lot of hype, they bought. So just buying, selling at the wrong times. I'm trying to time things up. And I don't have this in front of me right now, but we ran through a slide at our recent client event that looked through the impact of missing over like a 10 or 20 year period, the five best days in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Right, if you missed the five best days in the market, you lost like a third of your returns over the course of that time frame, If you missed the 10 best days, you lost half of your returns, right? It's just, it's crazy, right? Just to not be invested and to miss those, those best days in the market.
1: I don't have this number off the top of my head, but if the five best days were within two weeks of the five worst days.
0: Yes. So, you know, if you sold in fear on one of those bad days, you paid the penalty. You're missing the
1: rally uh, a few
0: weeks later. Without a doubt. The reason the average investor generated 1.9 percent versus the 60-40 strategy at 5.2 percent, or the S&P at 5.6 percent, is misbehavior. You know, Derek, why don't we go through and and just kind of look at some common sources of behavioral finance errors? All right, right. Top mental mistakes I want to run through. We'll run through all five, and then we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into each of them. So the first one is confirmation bias. The second one is information bias. The third is loss aversion or the endowment effect. The fourth is oversimplification tendency. And the fifth is hindsight bias. Let's dive into confirmation bias. So confirmation bias, essentially what that is, it's when you already make your decision. I already make my decision that Apple's a great company. So then as I'm doing my research All I look for are ideas, facts, statistics, figures that support the conclusion that I already arrived at. (laughs) If you were a detective investigating a homicide and you knew that you wanted to pin it on a particular (laughs) individual, don't you think you could find enough evidence that would point in that individual's direction? Yeah, absolutely. Is that good detective work? No. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of stuff will get you kicked off the force. Yeah. So, you know, confirmation bias is is one of the first mistakes that I think a lot of investors tend to make. And that goes back to, you know, our prior episode where we were talking about IPOs. Yeah. Well, you know, Peloton's got to be a great stock when it comes out. So, let me go and find all, you know, there's X point, X million users, you know, and they're growing at this percent per <laughs> year, right? You just look at that stuff. You mm-hmm. fail to to recognize that it's a $2,000 bike.
1: It's so easy to do for companies that you already like.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and unfortunately, what that does is uh, it's going to negatively impact the success of the investments that you're making.
1: Right. Because you're, you're just not looking at them objectively as, as you should. Exactly. So
0: confirmation bias, we probably don't come across that one as much. That seems to be something that if you're doing that, you're you're really an entry-level amateur investor. Right. Right. Here's one, though, that, you know, for the non-entry level investor, someone who might have, you know, a little bit of experience, they're still guilty of information bias. And when information bias is, that is when you take a piece of irrelevant information and you make it extremely relevant to justify a rise in the stock price or a fall in the stock price, whatever it might be.
1: Yep. You just make it fit your story.
0: Yeah. How many units did Tesla sell? I'm typing this in right now. (laughs) Of what it was it, the Cybertruck? Mm-hmm. The hundred dollar deposit type thing? It was a one hundred dollar deposit. Refundable. Completely refundable. I've heard of people who they put like five deposits down just because. (laughs) Like they didn't even like the vehicle. But hey, why not? You know, Mm -hmm. if at any point in time this thing's in high demand and it costs, let's just say fifty grand to buy it and I'm able to sell my pre-order for 100 grand and make $50,000 profit off mm-hmm. of a $100 refundable deposit, not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But I just typed this in. So Forbes had an article from November 28th of 2019. Cybertruck could bring in over 4.5 billion in revenue for Tesla. <laughs> Why? Because they got $100 from 250,000 people. Are you serious? <laughs> so that is information bias. Tesla fans or Tesla trolls, as we call them on Twitter <laughs> when they attack you. They're going to look at a piece of information like that and they're going to say Tesla already sold 250,000 cyber trucks. Right. Right. And they're going to fixate on that piece of info. Whereas, you know, a sane and rational investor is going to look at that and say, yeah, they got one hundred dollar refundable deposits from two hundred fifty thousand people. It doesn't mean they're going to sell two hundred fifty thousand Cybertrucks, and and this is information as of the end of November twenty nineteen. I have no idea where they're at currently, but I would assume that most of the most of the models or units they sold were probably in the first few days of that announcement, right?
1: Yeah, back when uh, Elon Musk was uh, breaking the window, right? That wasn't supposed <laughs> to break. Yeah. That was pretty funny. That, that was, was funny elon musk is obviously a super innovative guy but for him to do that in front of all those people i, I thought it was uh i thought it was a pretty humanizing moment well i don't want to get too far off the topic here, <laughs>
0: right. but i wonder if he did it intentionally
1: that's a great question like
0: i wonder if he knew that that window was going to break and he wanted the video to go viral Right. Because if you think about it, it still is bulletproof. I mean, when you shoot a bulletproof window, the bullet doesn't bounce off and fall (laughs) to the floor. It it does get absorbed into them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's really what happened. And bullets certainly aren't the size of that steel ball or whatever the heck they tried throwing (laughs) through it either. Yeah. Yeah. So information bias, unfortunately, it can really hurt your investment strategy if you're fixating on irrelevant information. Third thing, Derek, loss aversion. Or the endowment effect.
1: So, hey, Mark, sorry to interrupt you there, but it looks like the Cybertruck pre-orders, uh, this is uh, as of yesterday, uh, might have reached half a million crazy. pre-orders. Should we buy a few? <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of this thing right I, now. I think when we're done with
0: this episode, I'm going to go buy five. <laughs> 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 why not? Right. Yeah.
1: Why not? So sorry to interrupt you. There. Yeah. No <laughs> worries. No worries.
0: Um, <laughs> loss aversion. Yep. So this is basically hanging on to your losers, right? Because you, you hear that rule of thumb that says nobody makes money by buying high and selling low. Mm-hmm. So when your stock's low, what do you do? You try not to sell it. Right.
1: But a loser is a loser. That goes back to the psychology involved in, in behavioral finance. You're much more willing that just a, an average human is much more willing to, you know, sell something and get a win than sell something that's low and admit defeat.
0: Yeah. Look, if you're a retail investor listening to this, you know we're going to be the first ones to admit that we have losers too in mm-hmm. our professionally managed strategies. Right. The difference is we cut bait. Mm. We kick the loser out when it breaks our threshold. Right. Mm-hmm. So. We haven't talked about this, but every time we enter a position, we have a sell discipline or an exit strategy. And depending on the size of the company, it could be 10%, it could be 20%, you know, smaller caps. We typically give them a little more wiggle room, large caps, less wiggle room. But, you know, if the stock goes in the wrong direction, we're out, Mm -hmm. we're done, we're moving on. Hey, you know, we took an L, but we're going to move on and we're going to live to fight another day. Macy's, that company is just irrelevant. Right. I mean, they got crushed by Amazon. Mall traffic is in a secular decline. Why are you still holding on to Macy's? Right. Get out. Why are you buying Macy's? Right. So <laughs> that's another thing that, you know, I didn't intend on talking about, but opportunity costs. Mm-hmm. You only have so much capital if 1% of your portfolio, 3% of your portfolio, 5% of your portfolio is allocated to a dog, to a dinosaur like Macy's, that's 1, 3, 5% that you could have allocated towards a potential winner. So not only is the stock not going up and it's probably going down, but maybe you could have made 20% with that allocation or you put it in Apple and you made a hundred percent, right? So There's that to keep in mind as well, that hanging on to your losers, it's typically best just to cut bait, take an L, understand it was a bad trade, a bad investment, learn from it, and free up the capital to move on to bigger and better ideas. Fourth thing, oversimplification tendency. You know, d have seen this, you know, from prospective clients that come through the door. They've been kind of managing their stuff on their own. Right. And we talked about this on prior shows, but they oversimplify the stock market or how to value stocks. And I think the most common thing that we both encounter is investors who fixate too much on P.E. ratio. Forward P.E. is at, you know, 18. That's too high. Average is 15. Therefore, the market's overvalued. So I'm going to sit on $500,000 of cash and not invest it.
1: Right. We see that all the time.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then next year, the forward multiple is going to be 20. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's just right. I mean, that's, that's what's happening there. So. I think that's the biggest example of oversimplification, mm-hmm. fixating on P-E ratio, not looking at, at the three things that we suggest people look at, which is management team, the quality of the management team, the growth story. You know, what, what is that company doing that makes them different? What's their competitive advantage? What's their value prop? Um, what are they doing that's going to disrupt an industry? Right. That's all about the growth story. And then the valuation right? In valuations, not as simple as just looking at a PE
1: ratio. When people go out there to the internet or television, money magazine, whatever it is, they're looking for the answer, right? The one answer. And uh, unfortunately, it's just not that simple, right? It's not that simple. Yeah, th- right. th- there's just so many, well, we know uh, our research team is looking at so many different angles of all of these potential stocks that we're possibly entering into, yeah. right?
0: And we're constantly looking at them as well, yeah. right? So it's not like set it and forget it. <laughs> that's oversimplification in and of itself, right. right? It's kind of the set it and forget it mentality of, hey, I'm going to do a lot of research, right? I'm going to find 25 stocks that I can really get behind and then I'm done doing my research. Mm-hmm. And I see that all the time as well. That happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you're really missing the ball there, <laughs> right? Because some of those companies are just, they're going to go in the wrong direction right. or, or they're going to lag the market, right? Mm-hmm. So that's oversimplification tendency. Hindsight bias, that's mon- playing Monday morning quarterback. What have shoulda, coulda, right? Best example. Apple is a, it's, it's been in both of our strategies. It was in both of our strategies all year last year. The thing was up 100%. But we had one, one specific client <laughs> ask about how did we miss Apple? It was up 100% last year. Dude, what do you mean? We missed it. <laughs> we, we had it the entire year. But I think what he was trying to get at is like, why wasn't it a bigger position? Right. Why wasn't it 10% of the portfolio? Mm-hmm. Look, dude, if I had a crystal ball, it would have been, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It would have been, right? But I don't have a crystal ball. We run a risk management process to make sure that we hold the best possible risk-adjusted stocks in the right amounts, mm-hmm. you know, right allocations, Hindsight is always 2020 20. foresight is not <laughs>
1: Right. Especially when it comes to, to picking stocks.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's kind of run with, with Apple a little bit because that was the one specific question we got from clients. How did we miss Apple? And we didn't miss it. Mm-hmm. It's been in both of our portfolios. You know, did we not have 20% of our client money in it? That's absolutely correct. We did not. That's just not <laughs> prudent. That's not a, a good way to manage a client portfolio when you have a high concentration to one position. Would it have worked for us in 2019 had we taken that approach? Absolutely. But it, from a risk management standpoint, that just never makes sense. How did we miss Apple? I think everyone missed Apple. <laughs> Who thought Apple was going to go up 100% in 2019? They grew earnings by 4% in 2019. 4%. There's only two ways a stock price can go up. You grow earnings or the multiple expands. The multiple literally doubled last year. It went from 11 to 22 in 2019. It doubled. Why did it double? What did Apple do in 2019 that was so freaking amazing? Nothing. Why indeed? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. I mean, they didn't do anything crazy. They didn't. Come out with a new fancy iPhone. I mean, they do every year, but it's just, you know, kind of a revamp of the prior model. The 5 Gs is due out September of 2020. Services are growing a little bit. Wearables, which is a very still a very small percentage of their overall product mix, that's doing really well. That's That's a strong segment for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're selling a ton of those AirPods, the watches, like all that stuff's doing really well for them. But did they disrupt an industry last year? Absolutely not. No, they They didn't didn't really change anything that they were doing. They didn't. I would say almost everybody probably. <laughs> no one thought Apple was going to go up hundred percent last year. I'm sorry. And if you tell me you thought it was going to go up hundred percent last year, you're going to have to email me so we can debate this on our show. Yeah. <laughs> we, we would just, love that too. There is absolutely no way. You shoot me an email at info at swpconnect.com. You show me exactly how you arrived at that and let's talk because uh, this is one that, you know, it strictly grew on multiple expansion last year. You can look back and say, well, it's one of the best companies in the world. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the iPhones a staple, Wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. you know nobody expected it to go up 100 percent. So you know hindsight is always 2020. Foresight is not. and when it comes to managing portfolios, it doesn't matter what happened over the last year. What matters is what we expect
1: to happen over the next year and beyond. Right, And that's how you have to be. Uh, you, you need to have that discipline to manage strategies like we are for our clients. Yep. Cool. Let's
0: wrap this show up then. You know, I think we had a good discussion of uh, of five major behavioral finance errors from confirmation bias to information bias, loss aversion, oversimplification tendency, and hindsight bias. So that wraps up this episode of The Capitalist Investor. As always, shoot questions, comments, whatever it might be, shoot that over to us at info at We'd be happy to, uh, to answer them for you in a future show or even get you on one of these uh, podcast episodes with us to, uh, to have a conversation. Whether we agree, disagree, whatever it might be, it'd be great to get some of you on here to, to chat about that stuff. So that wraps up this episode and we will talk with you next week.